Blog Talk Radio. Broadcasting from Atlanta, Georgia, home of the world's greatest artist, TLC, Gladys Knight, India Ari, Indigo Girls, and Hartsfield Atlanta Jackson Airport, the Falcons, and Clark Atlanta University. This is The Bright Side with Technicia, a daily show with real people with real experiences. And now, here's your host, Technicia. Good afternoon. I'm your host, Technicia, and you're tuning into another episode of The Bright Side with Technicia. Today is January the 18th, 2018, and we are rocking the box. We still have our snow down here in wonderful Georgia, but I think it's melting away. But in certain parts, we still have the ice, so please be careful out there on the road. Let's make sure we are breaking easily and we are going slow because we don't need any accidents whatsoever out there. But anyhow, with me today is a man who has wonderful books out. His name is Richard Gordon. He is considered a pioneer in the field of energy medicine with more than 40 years of experience. He is the author of four best-selling books, now published in 17 languages. Gordon attended the Christo School of Natural Medicine, had been on faculty at Hartwood Institute and the Holistic Health Institute. With certified practitioners of his work in over 50 countries, Richard's work was praised by Dr. C. Norma Shelley as the first technique that may truly allow us all to become healers. Richard Gordon, founder of Quantum Touch Organization, is a visionary and a pioneer with 37 years of experience in the field of energy medicine. Richard is the best-selling author of Quantum Touch, The Power to Heal, now published in 17 languages and your healing hands. The Polarity Experience, available in 10 languages, yes. But without further ado, I would love to welcome Richard on. Richard, thank you for being here. Happy New Year to you. Hey, Tanisha, what a pleasure to be on your show. Thanks for having me. So welcome. And I am honored that Jackie offered me this opportunity. I love her so very much. And the people that she brings to me are so wonderful, just have so much character and, and experience. Uh, I love it, but I'm mean, enough about that. Richard, uh, I have the pleasure of having your book in my hand. I'm so glad to have them, The Secret Nature of Matter, and I have The Quantum Touch, The Power to Heal, Gordon. Um, now, now, Richard, you, you're considered a pioneer in the field of energy medicine, and you have over 40 years of experience. What got you interested in this here. Well, it all started when I turned 24, and a doctor told me to wait till I got worse. He said, yeah, you got a lot of symptoms, skin problems, lung problems, intestinal problems, but nothing bad enough yet to treat. So let's wait till you get worse, and then you come back in, and I'll treat you. And I thought, well, that's the stupidest thing I ever heard in my life. So that's when I went to the Cristo School of Natural Medicine and I learned about something called polarity therapy, Gounded me that we could do this kind of work on each other. And a few months before that book came out uh, that I wrote on the subject, I met an older gentleman named Robert Rasmussen who had never taught a workshop in his life. And he'd been doing a, me- a thing that he had discovered himself. And I couldn't believe my eyes. 
because not only could he bring down pain and inflammation very quickly, but he could just touch people and move the bones back into alignment with just a light touch. And, and he demonstrated on my girlfriend who had a major scoliosis. And my jaw's on the floor as I'm watching him just touching her hips and they roll right back into alignment while she's standing. And I apprenticed with him, took over in his retirement and eventually made a series of breakthroughs that he would never have even imagined. Wow. And, and Richard, for most of us, that would actually probably go over our head. Most definitely. It, it would. Um, talking about quantum touch. I have heard of quantum touch. What is exactly is that? Because you found this organization, actually. Yes. Quantum Touch is an organization that teaches a method of hands-on healing. And we don't, okay. ask anybody to cha- we don't ask anybody to change any of their beliefs. Their religion is fine. Their beliefs are fine. But what we teach them how to do is how to move awareness through your body. How to, like, for instance, if you were paying attention to your finger, if you're not driving a vehicle, and you put all your awareness in your finger, and you can see if you can feel your finger the blood pulsing through your finger and see if you can feel how the fingernail connects to the finger and you can feel the bones inside your finger and you put all your awareness there as if you're breathing through your finger. Well, most people will be able to feel the finger tingling or vibrating or pulsing. And what we do is we move awareness through our entire body, not just the finger. And we link it with breathing patterns. And by doing that, we raise our own energy field, and then we hold that energy around someone else's affected uh, problem. So if somebody has a knee problem, a shoulder problem, headache, whatever, we sandwich that area between our hands and allow their body intelligence and spiritual intelligence to do the healing. The healer is the one who was sick and got well a great healer with someone very sick who got well quickly. We don't actually heal other people, even though that's how it looks. What we're doing is we're holding an energy that allows them to do their own self-healing more rapidly. Okay. I'm trying to, I'm trying to make sure I got an understanding of everything here. Now, sure. Um, Richard, in, in your book, The Secret Nature of matter, you've discovered an astonishing link between mind and matter. Can you give us a glimpse into how this came to be? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, it was an amazing story. Um, when Bob Rasmussen showed us that he could align people with a light touch, about 10 years ago, I discovered that I could do it without touching. So I could meditate and get the bones to move. And then one of my students showed me that if I meditated on a bone behind the nose and eyes called the sphenoid bone, that was the first bone in the embryo, that I could align both cranial bones simultaneously and they would stay in alignment. And that was the Mm. prelude to the discovery. See, I, I had to know how to do that before I could make the next discovery. And the next discovery was that if I take any object, glass, plastic, rubber, paper, pebbles, water, you name it, all matter. If I put that same energy intention to align somebody into a physical object, 
a little pebble, for example, and then touch mm-hmm. somebody with that pebble with intention, it would immediately cause the alignment to occur. And that was just astounding. So I ran 58 separate experiments to explore that intersection between matter and consciousness. By 58 experiments? Yeah. Uh, uh, Richard, how 58 experiments, so what are we talking about the time duration? We're talking about weeks here with 58 experiments or months? Well, this is a, maybe about a six-month period. For instance, wow. I wanted to know if I, if I run energy into water, will the water mm-hmm. hold that energy? And so I'd give, let person take a sip of the water, and sure enough, it aligned them. Then what would happen if I boil the water? Will that still hold the energy? Yes. When water cooled down and I put the, the water in a little vial and handed it to somebody, it worked immediately. And what about the water that had evaporated on the lid of the pot? Would that still hold the energy? No, it did not. Um, somehow the evaporation process erased the information. Or maybe it went up in smoke. I don't know. But the point is, is that there are times when you could see that there was a lawfulness of when it would work and when it would not work. And that's what I got to explore in these experiments. But the implications of this are vast and profound. Wow. I am. I'm really interested because I never... I never would have thought of something like this. So I am like a newborn child learning something new. Um, There was no talk of this um, ever in science class whatsoever. So all this is definitely new to me. What? I I heard. Go ahead. Oh, no, go ahead, Richard. What were you about to say? Uh, I I was just going to say that it's very difficult for me to even show this to scientists because it violates so many of their fundamental assumptions about reality that it's hard to get an appointment to show them. And when I show them, they can see it happening before their eyes and they don't want to know about it because, you know, their career, their reputation, their money, everything is reliant upon the idea that this can't be true. And so it it creates a lot of cognitive dissonance for them. Wow. That's almost, that's almost saying I don't believe in God because I don't see him. And still you show them this and you still don't want to take the opportunity. Wow. But you know what? I, what, I, what? Will be, I can believe that. I can believe that, Richard. Well, what, I can believe that. Isn't that, like that happened, isn't, that, isn't that what happened in the Bible where people wouldn't believe what they had seen? You know what? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's like even today it's like that. See, yeah. They don't believe it. And even if they see it, they'll run away from the experiences. I gave a talk once at a bill conference, and I, I did my demonstration. I said, is there a chiropractor in the house? I always wanted to say that. Uh, like, is there a doctor in the house? And this woman says, I'm a chiropractor. So I, I brought up a number of people who had their backs out of alignment. And I said, measure them. I'm going to meditate. Okay, measure them again. And she said, yep, they're all aligned. And... Nobody wanted to talk to me afterwards. It was like there are hundreds of people there, maybe 500 people, and no one wanted to talk about it because it simply violated what they believe reality to be. And so with the reality and their beliefs, 
in a head-on collision. It's, it's the, mm-hmm. the most severe cognitive dissonance that people can experience. And it's very painful for a lot of people to have their reality colliding with their beliefs. Well, yeah, that's true. Their beliefs, everything is to people value and beliefs. So if yours different from mine, I don't really care what yours are. I just don't want to listen. So, yeah, I do believe that. Yeah. I would never have thought about that amongst the scientists, but that is something to truly believe. Um, now, now, we're talking about your experiments. Richard, if you don't mind, can you give us a little bit of description of some of your experiments? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I did an experiment where I wanted to see if I could join objects together in my mind. And if I did that, would they all respond the same? So before I discovered that, before I tried that experiment, I met a woman in a coffee shop and I measured her hips and they were out of alignment really far. And I laid out 12 pennies behind her in a, in a line about three or four inches apart. And mm-hmm. then I meditated on the penny that was directly behind her. And I measured her again to make sure I hadn't accidentally aligned her when I meditated on the penny and she was not aligned. Then I reached way out to the end and picked up penny number 12 and handed her that penny, and she was immediately aligned. And I got very upset because I couldn't understand. If I only meditated on this one penny, why did the penny four feet away function as if I had meditated on it? And then I realized that I had joined them together by putting them all down myself. I had already entangled them in my mind. So then I did the experiment the very next day on two women who had major hip misalignment. And I borrowed a handful of change. I looked at it. And my only Mm -hmm. thought was, I see all the change in my hand. It's all here. And then I put the change on a table, handed each of the women one of the coins at random, reached in my pocket, pulled out a coin I had previously meditated on, and I tapped one of the coins on the table for a split second. And both of the women holding one of the entangled coins became immediately aligned. And then I did the experiment in reverse the next day. And I met a woman who was misaligned. And I said, just put your change on the table and pick up one of the coins. And she did. And I tapped one of the coins on the table and nothing happened because Mm -hmm. this change was like a stranger to her. She didn't know this change. It was just something somebody handed it to her. She threw it in her purse. She had no connection with it. So I was able to do it forwards or backwards, which is an important part of the experimental model. You got to show when it works and when it doesn't work to be able to understand it more clearly. I see because right now this is a foreign language to me and it seems like a magic show because you will make like me go out there show. with it. Right. Richard, you're going to make me go out there and, and take some corn and, and end up doing this and then I'll, Why? You know, like, wait a minute. The first rule of science is don't fool yourself. You don't want the scientist fooling himself or herself. So what I did was I had a friend who had a massage chair at a market. And I measured people. And he had a coin that I had meditated on. And then I'd walk around the corner. 
Mm-hmm. And he would either hand them the coin or not hand them the coin. And I would come back a minute later and try to guess, did you give them the coin or didn't you? And I knew in about one and a half seconds whether he had handed them the coin or not, because that's how long it takes to measure their hips. Now, hips aren't very interesting to most people. But point of it is, is when Galileo wanted to know if the Earth was rotating around the sun and he had a telescope, it's not obvious what you would look at in the sky to know that the Earth is going around the sun. But one of his students suggested that if you look at Venus, it would, if it, the Earth was going around the sun, then Venus would, had, would have phases like the moon. And indeed it did. That's how he was able to know. For Einstein's theory of uh, relativity, he predicted what's called gravitational lensing, meaning that if you look at a solar eclipse, the sun would bend light and the position of stars would be in a different spot in the sky. And that's how they were able to prove that Einstein was correct. Well, for the intersection of matter and consciousness, my seemingly unimportant quote magic trick is to align people which is considered physiologically impossible so these are three relatively uninteresting and unimportant things uh, the position of stars or the phases of venus or aligning the hips but what they mean is that the earth is not the center of the universe that einstein's theory of relativity is true and that matter and consciousness actually have a link together and that all matter seems to be made of, this is a technical term, God stuff. Everything is made of God stuff. Okay. Now, by you mentioned that all matter is made of subatomic God stuff, what does this mean? Well, it means that everything is able to hold energy and intention and it all can have a physiological impact on people. You know, for thousands of years, many cultures have had shaman or people of magic. And what they would do is they would meditate on an, on an object and they would call uh-huh. it a talisman. And they'd, get, and they'd give you a necklace or something to wear with, with good juju or whatever they'd call it. And I'm actually showing that that's not only true, but we can take it to many levels beyond that. Because once I discovered conscious entanglement, that you could group objects together in your mind, I created a pendant. And with this pendant, I joined them all together. Once I designed it and had it manufactured, I joined them all together in my mind. I put my best healing energy into the pendant. And I also uh, sent them out as a gift to my top 50 instructors and told them, put your best energy into this pendant. And they did. And before we realized it, we had sold thousands of them because they told their, their students and their instructors and everybody wanted to start working with it. Now we have over 5,000 of these pendants that people are working with, many of them on a daily basis. So this thing actually becomes stronger every day. And I had no idea what this was. Do you know who uh, Michael Beckwith is, Reverend Beckwith? No, that's my first time hearing of his name. Who is he? 
Uh, he's the founder of Agape International. He was on. He's been in a lot of the movies, the the What the Bleep and the Secret and stuff like that. Oh, he's, okay. He's he's very well known. Anyway, we were, he and I were at a retreat in Cancun, Mexico, and mm-hmm. I showed him what this could do. He got so excited. He he said, Richard, there's 20 people that I want you to touch with your pen, and we're at this big beach party. And he's taking me by the hand, walking me down the beach. He said, I want you to touch them all with the, your pendant. I said, Michael, I'm not going to do that. He said, well, why not? I said, I want you to touch them with the pendant. And he said, okay, what are the instructions? And I said, okay, you got to hold the pendant in your hand, and then you have to touch them with it. And he laughed, and he said, that's it? I said, well, there's a third part, but you're already doing that. You have to have intention, and you have to touch them with intention. But I know you're going to do that. That's why. You, you're going to touch them because you already have the intention. And we went around and we measured everybody together. And he was just astounded because everybody he touched was instantly aligned. And by the way, this alignment is usually permanent and it can have some benefits for some people. I say about one out of 10 will notice that their neck and back feel better, but not most people. Most people can't even feel it unless the cranial bones are massively out of alignment and they happen to have their thumbs on that spot when I touch them and then they can feel the thumbs just completely move the position at the back of their head and I've got some videos of people responding and many of them just break out laughing going how is this possible how did you do that what is you know they just their whole reality just got blown away when they see <laughs> That the shape of their head changed when I touched their elbow with a little pendant. Well, I would love to definitely see something like that. That would really amaze me. I'm just thinking about it visually. Right. You don't believe it until, like, as we said, until you see it. And it's amazing how you mentioned shamanic because I, not too long ago, a week ago, I had a guest on named Michael Peter Lagervin, and he is actually known in the field of New Age Thought and shamanic transformation, all the magic and things. And we were talking about mm-hmm. how we're capable of doing magic like Harry Potter. So that really intrigued me. It would have been so lovely to have both of you on at the same time in different fields, but kind of towards the same ideal here. I am, I'm getting excited now. Like, this, this is really right. intriguing. I'm, I do, I love learning new things. That's why I love having my show because, it's always more information out there that you do not know. I tell people all the time, we are still students at hand, no matter how old we are. But um, yes. what do you think are the implications of this, of all this God stuff and conscious all entanglement? Right. Everything points to us being spiritual beings. You can never yes. absolutely prove it. But I think I I wrote down something like 20 different implications in the book. For example, if the mind is not confined to the brain, in other words, if you can Uh align somebody without touching them or just giving them a light touch, or as I did in Hong Kong, align 25 people at a time holding hands by just touching one of them for a split second. If the mind is not confined to the brain, does the death of the brain mean the death of the mind? No. It does not suggest that that's true. Everything points that we are actually spiritual beings living in a spiritual reality. But we identify with being these physical things. 
and the priorities of humankind have been totally distorted because people, if people think they're just physical, then accumulating stuff becomes a high priority as opposed to having higher levels of love, joy, gratitude, compassion, empathy, uh, bliss, and all kinds of other good stuff. If we actually shifted our priorities toward our love, gratitude, compassion, service, and things of this nature, there could never Mm -hmm. be a hungry child in the world. There would never be, the suffering wouldn't exist. But because people have been lost in their materialism, they forgot who they really are. They forgot what they really are. And we're these unfathomable beings of love who just got lost. Mm. Yeah, that just that really just um that sure blew me away. I was thinking of the fact as you was talking about the brain, I I know you mentioned in the secret nature of matter about an author by the name of Ray Kurzweil, if I'm saying that correctly. Yeah, it's, um, it's Ray Kurzweil, yeah. Kurzweil, um, and you mentioned that he contends that the brain is a biological computer which can therefore be hacked and copied, and his presumptions completely yeah. ignores or bypasses the hard problem of consciousness. Yes. Yeah. The, um, the hard problem of consciousness has been, well, let me put it the other way. The easy problem of consciousness, which isn't at all easy, is why do you pull your finger away if you're on a hot stove? Not easy, but there's a physical explanation of why that happens. The hard problem of consciousness is why do we have preferences? Why do I like the taste of coffee and you prefer tea? Why do I like this music? Or why do we have such rich internal subjective lives? Why do I love this person, but I can't stand that one? That doesn't make any sense if we think of consciousness as a simple biological function that we would have these extremely rich internal lives. And so they believe that, in fact, 99% of most brain scientists believes that the brain is simply a physical mechanism, a machine, like a computer. And people like Ray, he's one of the major proponents of this idea. He thinks in the future we'll be able to upload our consciousness into a machine and then we'll be physically immortal. But they're missing the fact that we're actually spiritual beings, not a machine. And Mm -hmm. so all their solutions that they're looking at are simply mechanical solutions as opposed to the more spiritual solutions. And they're completely lost because, you know, as the old cliche goes, when your only tool is a hammer, you see everything is a nail. And they think it's all a hammer. And they didn't realize that we're actually spiritual beings and that our love is the part of us that's most real, not this physical form. Okay. In, in your opinion, what does it mean for you, Richard, to actually be a healer? What does it take to be a healer? Yes, what does it mean for, for you to be a healer? 
Yeah, it just means that, and the paper cut heals, you're a healer. It means that you can heal yourself. That's what it means to be a healer. What does it mean to assist other people? It simply means that you have taken a little bit of time to learn some simple techniques, probably the easiest skill that there is to learn, that you raise your own vibration through simple breathing and body awareness techniques. You connect to your love and gratitude and desire to to help out, your compassion, your empathy, and you simply hold your hands in the simplest form around the area and you continue breathing and feeling your body and holding the space for them to get better. And then their body matches the vibrations and then their body and spiritual intelligence does the healing. You know, it's really fascinating, but a lot of people would assume that what I'm discussing is a placebo or a psychological mechanism that's causing people to feel better or to think they feel better. But what I've discovered is the body has an extraordinary self-healing mechanism. And that self-healing mechanism can be triggered in three distinct ways. The first way that can be triggered is through the placebo effect. In other words, if you lie to somebody, deceive them, cause them to believe they're going to get better. That's one of the avenues, and it works about one-third of the time. There's also something called the nocebo effect, which is if you tell them, well, I think you got two weeks to live, and then the person cooperates and dies in two weeks. That's called the nocebo effect. But the placebo is based on dishonesty and deception, and no one likes to be lied to. The second extraordinary self-healing mechanism is just energy healing itself, quantum touch, Reiki, Qigong, uh, Jinshin Jitsu, and so forth. There's wonderful methodologies that people are using to raise their own vibration and allow the other person to respond. So we just did a clinical study that's been published in a peer-reviewed journal. 41 people with super high levels of pain, mostly from arthritis, fibromyalgia, or accidents, 50 pain conditions with these 41 people, all 50 responded to the quantum touch session. And the average pain relief was better than 67% from a single quantum touch session, which means that we could do wonders if people were receiving this instead of opioids. We could do wonders to, you know, eliminates future uh, opium addictions. Third method of stimulating the body's self-healing mechanism is through emotional honesty, emotional release, and emotional forgiveness. That I've discovered a way that took me 30 years to figure this one out, to help people find and release the emotional causes of a condition. So I ask questions respond to the questions and we figure out exactly what their body is telling them not something that I believe is true but something they know is true because all 40 aspects of the condition remind them of a specific emotional experience they didn't want to have to feel and when they let themselves feel it and release it that's step two of seven the other steps have to do 
with realizing they hurt themselves by carrying that around, feeling the remorse of having hurt themselves, and going through a self-forgiveness process that turns into explosive self-love. And when that occurs, not only do the symptoms disappear, but people feel incredibly grateful that they had the condition. So quantum touch, my work, is not going to work 100% of the time. It never has. It never will. It works most of the time. It definitely provides relief almost all the time for most conditions, but it's not perfect. But when it breaks down and it doesn't last, that's when we want to go to the emotional level and help people on a soul level to heal themselves, to connect with what was really going on to this of all. I bet it was miraculous of it all. We're going to take a short commercial break, and I want to come back with Richard talking about his third, his other book, Quantum Touch, The Power to Heal. And we'll talk about his third book, too, Quantum Touch 2.0. So don't touch that dial. We have so much more of a richer, and we're not ready to go just yet. So don't you leave me either. You're listening to Blog Talk Radio with Technician. Thought it was over? Not yet. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Blog, 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 Talk. Blog Talk Radio, baby. You know what really gets a party started? Indoor baseball. Yeah, just find a broom or a pool cue, and you can use, like, anything as a ball. Cans, bottles, shoes. Hey, bro, toss me that avocado. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Underage drinking and driving, the ultimate party foul. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. I'm Little Teapot, short and stout. Here is my handle and here is my spout. No laugh, like this. When I get all steamed up, then I shout, tip me over and pull me out. <laughs> this is WWE superstar Roman Reigns. It only takes a moment to make a moment. Take time to be a dad today. Visit fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. All right, we are back with Richard, and we have been talking about things that may blow your mind. We're discussing his book, The Secret Nature of Matter. We also talked about how we all can be a healer and how he even became an energy healer himself. So if you're listening to the replay, please make sure that you share with everyone, friends and family, because we like to get the word out about every single thing. Now, Richard... We were speaking a little bit about quantum touch. How so is that different from Ricky? R- Ricky, if I well, said, did I say that correctly? It's actually called Reiki, but yeah, it's a good question. Um, Thank you. Reiki uses uh, symbols and attunements. We don't have any symbols or attunements. Um, another difference is that Reiki waits for the energy to pick up. And we don't have to wait at all. We just simply uh, use breathing and body awareness. So we bring the energy. And the third and final difference is the quantum touch practitioner does not feel tired or drained at the end of a session. And most Reiki people don't. But if they 
get out of their gratitude or love or joy while they're doing sessions, they can. And many of them have reported to me. I once gave a lecture to about 75 Reiki master and practitioners, and over half of them raised their hand that from time to time they felt tired or drained. And that just doesn't happen with quantum touch. Okay. Now, do you have published peer-reviewed research on quantum touch? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, and we just, I just briefly covered the study we most, we put out with the 41 people with high levels of pain, and that was a peer-reviewed journal, uh, energy psychology journal. And we're looking forward to doing uh, some uh, comparison and blinded studies as well. That was a clinical study. Oh, awesome. Uh, and I hope that goes really well. Now, you have a third book out, Quantum Touch 2.0, and you speak of teachable new human abilities. How did you go about discovering them, Richard? Well, um, yeah, my third, the new human. And what happened was that's when that's about 10 years ago when I discovered that I could align people without touching them. And then I found out you could work on multiple people simultaneously or multiple conditions simultaneously. And uh, it really didn't matter how far away you worked. And you could align people uh, effortlessly. And as I demonstrated at the University of Hong Kong and the University of Macau, I could align a whole stage full of people simultaneously. And in Silicon Valley, at something called the Smart Life Forum, I demonstrated you could align 100 people simultaneously as easily as you could do three. So um, these are lost, forgotten, or unknown human abilities that have gone by the wayside because our modern science has been so obsessed with things that they can measure or put into a formula. They forgot to look at stuff that was right under their nose. They had not noticed that our consciousness was actually having a physical effect on the outer reality. Okay. And Richard, with this, because we all have special gifts, but you say it's possible for people to actually share their gifts with other people. How did you come across this? I was uh, in a cafe with a friend, and she was telling me that she always got straight A's in school, and she never really had to study very hard. I said, well, how'd you do that? Because I had to study like crazy. And uh, she said, well, I just have a photographic memory. And I said, well, I'd like to have that. So I made up a technique, a very ineffective technique, I should say, but I made up one and I had her try to give me her photographic memory just as a experiment. And as I was going to bed that night, I started thinking about a friend I hadn't seen in a long time. And all of a sudden I see their face right in front of me as clear as can be with the name spelled in gold letters underneath. And I thought, well, that's weird. But it was so clear. It was like reading something that was printed on a wall. I could read them forward and backwards, read one letter at a time. It was just as clear as I was looking at it. And then I thought of another friend. And their face appeared with gold letters and a third friend. I thought, that's really strange. So I 
then I felt all this fear in my body. And I go, what's all this about? Well, I called her the next day and I said, Carolyn, when you think of your friends, do you suddenly see their face in front of you with the name spelled in gold letters? And her jaw dropped and said, how did you know? She says, I'm like a machine. And then I said, do you carry a lot of fear? And she said, oh, you have no idea how much fear I hold. And I said, yeah, I think I do have an idea because I got to experience all of it because she had shared it with me. So I figured out a very simple method that we could use to share our gifts with each other. And it doesn't happen immediately like that in most cases, but people very gradually start to pick up the energy and essence of the gift. You don't want the gift itself because that includes all the subconscious crapola that the person is holding. But what you do want to receive is the energy and essence of the gift. Okay. And Richard, the the ancients often work with symbols, but you discovered that you could create original symbols that can impact. Yeah, this this was before I discovered the connection with using matter and consciousness together. And I was just, I was still doing experiments, but I didn't know where to go. And this was experiment where I create a symbol, just some lines and dots or whatever you want to make. It doesn't really matter what it is, but if you assign that symbol a meaning, like I'll give it a meaning of aligning somebody's hips. And then if I meditate on the symbol, it'll actually cause that alignment to occur. So in my earliest experiment, I didn't know how to align both the hips and the cranial bones at the same time. So I created a symbol that would do that. And with my friend standing nearby, I looked off to the side, meditated on the symbol, and it aligned both his hips and cranial bones simultaneously. Okay. I'm following along, Richard. I am. Um, yeah. I guess I want to ask, how can you go about, um, let me see how I want to actually put this, but how can you mm, go about with working with multiple conditions or multiple people at once? That seems so difficult to do because I, I mean, as I always well, tell you, it's hard to multitask really multitasking what you're doing is you're it's sort of like that thing where I join the coins together in my mind if you join the people together in advance and then work on one of them or work on one in your imagination you're going to work on all of them at the same time so if you had five different conditions you wanted to work on simultaneously you think about each of the conditions and you join them together in your consciousness and then you work on any one of them, and you're working on all of them. Because the principles that I found in The Secret Nature of Matter apply to Quantum Touch 2.0, the new human. They're all the same thing, except that I got to see it from other angles and from other points of view. I'm still here, Richard. Sorry about that. Yeah, um, so good. Now, when people put their suffering or dark energy into an object, does it actually stay there? Of course it does. But the object is 
99.999% joy, gratitude, love, connection, healing, and so forth, compassion, service, all kinds of good stuff. Now, what do you want from the pendant? You want the good stuff. Now, if you wanted okay. to use the pendant and say, and say, how can I experience the depths of self-pity? Help me go there. Well, you probably could, but I don't know anybody who's ever done that. And if the, actually, because I guess everything plays with the mind. Um, if actually, if the mind is not confined to the brain, then death isn't the end of consciousness. Right. Yep. That's one of the strong implications of my new book. Um, okay, death isn't the end of consciousness. Um, so can we explain that, Richard, so I can get a better understanding of it? Yeah, sure. If you realize that you can do this healing work, in other words, you can sit over here and your friend can stand over there and you can meditate and cause their body to realign itself in a few seconds with your meditation. Mm-hmm. And you realize that, that your mind was not confined to the brain. The mind can go anywhere. It can have a physiological impact outside of your own body. And if the mind is not contained and held and confined by the brain, why would the death of the brain mean the death of the mind it doesn't implication is that the mind has a life of its own it's it's it is its own thing and maybe the body is an epiphenomenon of consciousness rather than consciousness being an outgrowth or an epiphenomenon of of the body. You see, we think that the, the body and the brain are this physical thing. But Why? maybe the maybe we're much more than that. You know, I use this example. If you were to take Mount Everest and put it in a black hole, and yeah. what you would see is it would compress down to the size of a grain of sand because that's how much empty space we are. We are 99.9999999999% empty space. But I think that you and I are actually 99.9999999999% spiritual beings wearing these meat suits. We wear this physical form, and we think we're our physical form, but we're actually, we are spiritual beings, and we forgot we got lost in the physicality of this experience and forgot who and what we really are. That, that may so be so true, but then we have to figure out who we are actually. That's a question that still ponders in other people's minds. But just to know, you know, they come to think of it when you said the mind and the brain, because they seem to be two separate things here. And, it, you know, you always used to get that little um, quote, something the teacher would say in class, like, oh, you're here, but where's your mind? Like, oh, it's right here. Like, it's actually here. But yeah. from your talk, 
it's actually not. These are two separate things, the mind and the brain. I always thought they were kind of like just one, and I'm finding out they're actually not from what you just said. Well, they are. They are, okay. <laughs> yeah. What, what, what it is is we're identified with the physical form, and so we're identified okay. with our brain, with having a brain. But people really identify even more with what their beliefs are. And as you know, people will go to war to defend their own beliefs. And right. That's, that's why we have had war so many decades ago because of people believed not wanting to hear the other side. So let's have this World War One and World War Two. It's like, uh, probably could have saved well, all that energy. <laughs> right now, people between the blue states and the red states and And they're not liking each other like they used to because Mm -hmm. they have these different beliefs and these different attitudes. And I'm so fascinated by looking at what are the commonalities? What do we all believe together? What are our common values? What do we cherish together? And start holding hands again and saying, look, I respect that you have integrity for your values and you can respect that I have integrity for my values and where can we find common ground but instead of doing that people are at each other's throat all the time saying no I'm right you're wrong I'm good you're bad etc etc I say that all the time Richard probably almost every day on my job if everybody could be just the same if we all could be on that same page what would the world actually look like I don't know. Maybe it'd be peaceful, hopefully, if everybody is on the good side of it, or it could all be bad if everybody's on the bad intention. So that is something I doubt we ever will come to agreement. Like you said, everybody's on one side. We all on the other side. We're divided. We're on we're we're on divided line. Um, but well, what I do like about I like both of your books, actually, I do. But the Quantum Touch, I like it because it kind of shows you a little bit of the healing process, you kind of take the, oh, yeah. you're taking a step, you're actually taking a step by step, like um, before chapter eight. And then you talk about yeah. working on the back and neck problems. So you're, you're giving us all these different applications on how to work on your body, which is totally oh, cool. Yeah. Um, and I just, not too long, I did, I had a show on there where the lady was speaking of, um, you know, our body's been um, not proportioned right. And, and, and all the different things, the food that we eat. And I'm like, wow, all this is leading back up to what actually Richard is stating right now, what's going on with our body. Like everything is so connected. And that's, I guess that's what makes it a beautiful science project because everybody has their own hip- hypothesis, but everybody almost has the same answer. Like all, all of you, including you, Richard, are connected somehow. Like I feel like I'm having a recap of all my shows. Um, but if this were study at major universities, which we know is not, not when I was going, because I came out in 2011, and use yeah. the hospitals around the world, which I think that would be good if it were, what kind of future could we actually have here? Yeah, this is my, my vision, and it's, I'm holding it, and I'm sharing it, and that is that by the year 2040, we have quantum touch research, or the energy healing research at every university, that mm-hmm. it could be practiced and utilized in every hospital and taught in every school because it okay. would encourage people to explore their love, their compassion, and their values. 
the world would be a completely different place. We wouldn't need to have uh, opiate addictions. We wouldn't need to have so much suffering because when we put compassion, love, empathy, and human dignity as our highest value, then we cherish solutions that are only being discarded today. People say, okay, we'll spend money on this, but only if we have to, if we're pressed to make that happen, as opposed to, no, we want this to happen. We want to make sure that there are no disadvantaged people in the world because they end up living lousy lives that cost everybody money and it causes a lot of pain. We don't want to suffer. I remember listening to an interview with a rich German industrialist, and he was on some television show. And they said, how do you feel about the super high taxes that you're being charged? And he said, I'm fine with the high taxes. And they were really shocked. And they said, why? He said, well, because I do not wish to be a wealthy man in a poor country. Because if I were, I'd be worried my children would be kidnapped and, I'd, and there'd be these horrible things happening to other people. I want to be in a land where everybody's doing well. And I think that's a much more intelligent form of selfishness to want everybody to be thriving and not just me and mine. Right, but I'm I'm hoping for that vision to come about too. We definitely gonna make sure that's on the vision board because I would love to see something like this happen in aspect of human nature around this world. It'd be a beautiful it would be a beautiful thing, Richard. Richard, are you planning on no, doing so. any more are there any more future books coming out? Well, I'm working on two of them now, so uh, just have to hold your okay. breath because I don't put them out very quickly. They come God, out. I am. I'm holding. Well, um, yeah, I'm working with one of my associates on a book. We okay. hope to get the first draft done at the end of this year, and I'm starting another one as well. Oh, Awesome. And, Richard, I want to see you back when those books do come out. I love when my guests come back and have brand-new information for us to listen to. Um, I just had got someone that just told me it was so cool that we're talking about this subject on Quantum Session. That's why I said I love to have all these different discussions because someone out there actually wants to know this information. Every guest to me always brings something new to the table that someone needs to know, and that's why I love what I actually do. But, Richard, if someone wants to purchase these books, how do they go about doing it and if they want to find out more information on what you actually do? You you can buy them at any place that sells books, Amazon or anywhere you want to go. There, Quantum Touch okay. is available. You can also visit the Quantum Touch website and learn about uh, where to find instructors or practitioners or becoming a practitioner or instructor or we have an online video workshop that people can watch. We've got pendants. We have a lot of resources. So if you want to get sessions or learn how to do them yourself, it's definitely available. Well, I do appreciate this information. It has really inspired and motivated me to just want to get out there and keep learning so much. And But before I leave anyone, I'd like to give my truth of the day from my friend and who was also a former guest on my show, Mary Ellen Signovich. Trust your intuition, your knowings, to become a stronger person. Trust your knowings, 
those intuitive feelings that grab you in your gut. These instincts allow you to make important choices with confidence. Listen to what your intuition, knowings, or telling you. This is your God connection and will never let you down. Write down your first instincts, reflect upon it, and respond with logical steps. Use all the information available to you. And if you need more, ask an older, wiser family member. Today, see your intuition, your knowing through objective lenses. Enjoy the, enjoy the day, everyone. Do not forget to get my friend and guest, Richard Gordon book, The Secret Nature of Matter, and also The Quantum Touch, The Power to Heal. They're available in all stores worldwide. So please make sure that's on your shelf. And we'll be glad to have you back on, Richard, when those new books come out rolling. Yes. Well, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed this show. Me too, Richard. And God bless. I thank you for listening. And I'll see you next time on the Bright Side with Technicia. God bless. Thanks for listening to the Bright Side with Technicia. If you like what you heard, tell your dad, mother, cousin, uncle, whomever. Be sure to check out the archive section at www.brightsidewithtk.com. 